Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Hashim Ahalbara. After months of building tensions between Sudan's military and civilian factions, a coup, the Prime Minister is one of many arrested, a state of emergency has been imposed, and the transitional sovereign council and government dissolved. So what does the road ahead look like for Sudan? Let's bring in our guests from Doha. We have Walid Madibo, founder and president of the Sudan Policy Forum in Nairobi. Jonas Horner, deputy director for Horn of Africa and senior analyst for Sudan at the International Crisis Group. And over in Edinburgh, Scotland, Alex Dewall, executive director of the World Peace Foundation and research professor at the Tufts Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy. Thank you all for joining us. Walid, by dissolving the ruling council, the transitional government, declaring state of emergency, arresting senior government officials, including Prime Minister Abdullah Hamdouk, what is army chief trying to say here? Uh, if, if we decompose uh, uh, and scrutinize uh, the speech of uh, uh, Mr. Burhan, especially if we look at articles 11, 12, 15, 16, 24, 71, and 72 that were eliminated from the new constitutional document that he, uh, he, is, he said he is uh, ready uh, to abide with. Uh, there are two categories here. There are three articles that has to do with him issuing decrees. Uh, and, and there is the other category which has to do with, uh, he, he has done away with the article that had to do with dismantling uh, of uh, the Islamist state and combating of corruption. And the other article had to do with, he had done away with the article that dealt with investigating the crime of mm-hmm. June 19th. Uh, and at, at, at which uh, point uh, we, we all remember that about 1,800 protesters that were uh, uh, attacked using lethal, lethal weapon and uh, we don't know. There are some that are still missing. So um, if, if you look at him removing those two articles, to, those two important articles, it seems that the army was pushed to the corner since there was no discourse between the civilians and the army officers in the sovereign council. It seems that uh, there was no room for compromise. Uh, uh, it, it, it seems that the officers... Uh, feared this whole thing of investigating the crime, and they didn't want to go with dismantling the Islamist state, which is going to weaken their position in power. So you're basically saying that Uh, 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 the military establishment is trying to prevent any prosecution in the near future, which was part of the power sharing with the civilians about the atrocities committed, and particularly those that were committed uh, during the... Absolutely. uh, After 2019. Jonas... Is it fair to say that all the power-sharing deals and all the architecture that was uh, started post-April 2019 are now scrapped, are now part of the past? Uh, I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. Um, And, you know, it's it's odd up until now there had been considerable effort from from all sides in many ways to, to somehow stay within the norms of the the constitutional declaration and also the Juba agreement, even though there was very little in the way of of implementation. 
Um, so, so you know, I, I wouldn't say that this is this is uh, entirely over, and there have been uh, efforts even before today to broker the sort of uh, peace and and um, an accord between the three components of this, uh, three main components of this transition, which are the armed groups who came in after the Juba Agreement, uh, the, the military and, and the FFC. Um, but but they they they've all there have been efforts to try to put together a deal that would allow everyone mm-hmm. to have a little bit of what they want. But uh, what we've seen this morning is is the tearing asunder uh, of that effort. I wouldn't say these institutions are over, but um, they're, they've certainly been rocked. Alex, when you look at the, uh, at the announcement, so basically, uh, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan is saying that the sovereign council goes along with the transitional government, but the transitional military council that started the coup in 2019 stays in power, which means that Abdel Fattah Burhan will remain the ultimate uh, authority in Sudan. And he says that he will form a new government, he will also uh, form the legislative council, and he will ensure that elections will be held in 2023. I mean, it could be a clear message that, you know what, you have to deal with me from now onwards. It's a naked brutal power grab and no language that comes out of Al-Burhan's mouth can mask the basic reality that what he is trying to do is to tear up the aspirations of the Sudanese people as expressed in the 2019 revolution. The revolutionaries, the Democrats, were ready to compromise with the military. They were ready to allow the military to to, to retain a considerable share in power. And um, also very problematically, um, they were unable to to roll back the military's control over many commanding sectors of the economy. And when they tried to do that, and when the prospect of the head of the Uh, sovereignty council being rotated, as was agreed from the military to the civilians in the coming months, Al-Burhan said, no, he he basically wants to seize power. Quite what he expects to achieve with this, other than returning Sudan to the status quo ante before the revolution, Mm -hmm. I really don't know. Walid, do you think that the cohabitation between the civilians and the army in Sudan is over by the decision made today by uh, Abdel Fattah al-Burhan? Uh, absolutely. I think uh, the, uh, except for uh, uh, the Islamists and some psychophants here and there, I don't think that any, uh, any individual with some credibility uh, among the Sudanese elites uh, will be willing to work with, the, with, with this uh, military junta. And if, if we were to, to critique the tactic, I mean, no one would have imagined that Al-Burhan will adopt this drastic methodology, knowingly that uh, he is just using the name of the army. It was basically the rapid, the RSF, the rapid forces that uh, secured uh, the, the areas that were sensitive and, uh, and, and, and made an attempt to secure other uh, facilities that are of critical importance to the government, it is basically the RSF that has uh, 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 helped Burhan succeed in his uh, uh, this coup d'etat. So should should there, the, the coup d'etat fail due to external or internal pressure, 
I think there are going to be some very serious divisions within the army, mm-hmm. at which point there is going to be some very bloody confrontation between the army and the militias that uh, already are already in Khartoum. So God forbid that uh, this, uh, this coup d'etat fail. There is going to be a confrontation between the army, which feels very much subsided, okay. and the, the, the militias that came from abroad. Jonas, it seems that uh, the army and the civilians are on a collision course, but the question is, what kind of leverage does the civilian uh, establishment uh, have in Sudan in the near future to reverse the decisions made by, the, uh, by, by al-Fatih al-Burhan? Well, very few. Uh, you know, obviously, people have come out very speedily onto the streets to express their opposition to, to the military's unilateral takeover of, of power. Um, and it really is, you know, this all began with collective action in, in late 2018 and moving into 2019 and, and delivered, you know, the inspiring and, and, and pretty historic removal after 30 years of Omar al-Bashir. So, you know, those tactics have worked before. They also relied heavily on nonviolence, uh, which confounded the military in many ways. And so uh, along with collective action and a return to some of the proven structures, such as the Sunnis Professionals Association, you know, there's also a need for for a real championing of of the sorts of messaging and and the causes that the people on the streets um, are are going to want to see. Um, You know, they have also avoided quite clear leadership throughout the revolution. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, and they may pursue this approach again, you know, especially given that uh, the the, the, the talisman um, for for, for the revolution to date, um, however strong or weak he may have been, uh, you know, Abdullah Hamdok, the prime minister, has been been, uh, ghosted away. Alex, I mean, it was not a secret at all that the military takeover was just going to be a matter of time. You look at the protests, pro-military uh, protests that were choreographed by the establishment. You look at the statements made by the military following the, uh, the attempted coup last month. But the question is, why would al-Burhan go for these drastic measures when he knows that no one in the international community, the main backers, the main donors, reject military takeovers? That is the big puzzle. The one legitimate criticism that he may have had of the civilian government was that it had failed to deliver on the the promise of uh, economic stabilization. The economic crisis in Sudan remains dire. And that's actually very largely the the responsibility of the international donors who were very, very slow in, in providing the necessary assistance to stabilize Sudan. But they have been doing that. Over the last few months, the, the, we have had debt rescheduling, debt relief, the lifting of the state sponsors of terror designation, the beginnings of economic normalization. And that can be credited to the civilian leadership and especially to, to Abdullah Hamdok. Now, there is no chance that the United States, the European Union, the World Bank, etc., are going to come in and, and, and say, oh, we don't mind having uh, uh, the democratic transition torn up. The other option that the uh, Al-Burhan might have is to get some cash in hand from the Saudis and the Emiratis. Mm-hmm. But that is not either. And it's striking that the Arab League came with a statement that didn't just call for dialogue, but called for a return to the constitutional agreement of 2019. And I think it's not likely that the Arab League would have got very much out of step with the with the Egyptians. So it is quite uh, unclear to me where possible foreign financial support for Al-Burhan's 
putsch is going to come from. Walid, we, we, we've seen all of those statements coming from the US, from the EU, from uh, different key players denouncing the uh, decisions made by Al-Burhan. But do you think that this could be translated into sanctions targeting the military uh, regime? It's it's un, unclear. If, if we investigate the, the geographic landscape, you, I think Al-Burhan would not have attempted this coup d'etat without, without getting approval from the Egyptians or from UAE. But if you look at, 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 the, at the situation of Sudan, it's, uh, it's a, a country that's trying to make a transition to democracy, and it's in the midst of a region that is dominated by autocrats. Uh, so in, uh, they don't like democracy, but they do have a distaste for Islamists. So it's not clear if Burhan is just going to, in the absence of any political and social uh, grounding, it's not yet clear that he will just go back to coalescing with the Islamists. If he does such a thing, then that is, that's a definite suicide. But it, let us bear in mind that the Americans, uh, I mean, the American special envoy, the, uh, the, some of the European special envoys were in Khartoum only 48 hours ago. Mm -hmm. So it's, we don't know if they have given Al-Burhan the green line or whether they, uh, they just uh, stipulated some conditions here and there. But I think what is at stake is, is the economic situation. It is, it, the situation now is worsening. The living conditions are bad. There is an economic crisis and there is a need for cash to come in. Uh, already there okay. are $3 billion uh, coming from the, from the World Bank, but it, well, it's not clear if uh, the civilians now have the institutional capacity needed to prepare projects for such, uh, for such task. It's a very huge task. Jonas, uh, Al-Burhan made it clear that he will preserve, he wants to preserve the Juba agreement that was signed with the two key factions operating in Darfur and South Kordovan. But do you think that these factions will be willing to be part of an establishment when we know from the beginning they were always skeptical of the military junta? They, they saw them as reminiscent of the old order and they were only encouraged when they said, you know what, perhaps with the civilians, Sudan would be a different country to live in. Well, speaking with essentially all of the commanders who'd signed on to the agreement back during the talks in, in, in Juba, what I found was, uh, you know, a set of gentlemen who were in many ways much more concerned about ending up um, uh, on the side of, of, of the winner. Um, you know, there was real... Um, concerned that the civilians had the strength and capacity and wherewithal to actually uh, deliver this transition. And uh, in many ways, as you've seen with the split of the um, forces Freedom and Change and Sudan Revolutionary Front uh, just two or three weeks ago, um, you've seen the finance minister and, and head of the Justice and Equality Movement, Jibril Ibrahim, uh, and Mini Minawi of the Sudan Liberation Army um, take off in, in, in their own direction and, and ostensibly in the direction of the military because they feel that were they to be faced with the sort of elections and, and open, uh, you know, test of their popularity um, that the transition is meant to create, 
that they would lose very badly. Um, that they, they would not be be, be uh, competitive candidates. And so they have decided to, uh, rather than uh, standing behind the sorts of values that put them in the bush fighting against the mm -hmm. government for 20 years or so, they've decided to, 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 to hew much more closely towards the military, who they do see as much more likely to be able to deliver them uh, a more sustained uh, uh, run at power. It was, Alex, it was quite obvious for quite some time in Sudan that the military establishment is trying to co-opt the elite, to bribe tribal leaders, to try to influence the decision-making decision process in the country. But to what extent that could be helpful in the near future? We're talking about a country that has been beset for, for decades and decades by instability and dictatorship. Well, that was absolutely the, the method that was used by Omar al-Bashir to stay in power. We call it the political marketplace, just buying off the the, the provincial elites, the, the, the tribal elders, the militia commanders, rebel leaders, etc., etc. And Mini Minawi and Jibril Ibrahim were, were also players in this game. And yes, I'm sure that is what al-Burhan is going to try and do in the short term. But he faces not only the problem that he cannot buy off the international community and he cannot buy off the street, but also there are the two most significant uh, rural provincial armed groups, the, the Sudan Liberation Movement of Abdul Wahid al-Nur in Darfur and the SPLM North of uh, Abdulaziz al-Hillu in, in the Nuba Mountains in South Kordofan, they had not yet bought into the Juba Agreement. Mm -hmm. And there's a very real risk that um, the active armed conflict with these two groups will resume at scale. Mm -hmm. So Al-Burhan al is actually not only risking uh, the entire democratic transition, but he's also jeopardizing the completion of an incomplete peace process in, in, in Kordofan and Darfur. Uh, I have very few questions uh, left. Uh, Walid, first of all, and briefly, if you don't mind, those moderate civilians who had hopes that this could be conducive to a genuine democracy in Sudan, when they saw what happened, when they saw what they described as a betrayal by the army chief, do you think that this could lead them to more of an aggressive stance in the near future? Uh, I believe that uh, the, the, the elites uh, are going to uh, maintain the peaceful tactics attempted against uh, the Sudanese dictator Omar al-Bashir and now uh, again, it's uh, Al-Burhan. Uh, however, my fear some comes from the fact that uh, people are already out in the streets and, and they are uh, uh, adamantly against this coup d'etat and should things worsen, there is going to be a confrontation which may lead to some bloodshed. Uh, imagine, I mean, during at the mm -hmm. June of 2019, at the sit-in, some 1,800 protesters were killed. Now, we're not talking about a, a, a protest in a very concise place. We're talking about a protest, a, a nationwide protest. And, and I think that right. I, I just pray to God that things won't go to, to this uh, extent. Jonas, the army is not a cohesive entity in Sudan. You have the professional uh, soldiers, you have those who were loyal to the 
al-Bashir, you have Hamiti, who is widely considered as an outsider. And do you think that this institution itself will be able to move forward united under the command of uh, al-Burhan for as long as it takes? I think the current dispensation and certainly the, you know, the, the events of the last few weeks uh, have been incredibly short-sighted they're, and they're based all on very short-term interests. You know, once those short-term interests do not serve the stakeholders who are part of them anymore, mm-hmm. um, they will have to go on a new hunt for, 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 for new partners. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, those you know, th- those divisions are destined to to, to bite the military mm-hmm. uh, back ultimately. Um, and I think, you know, one, you know, underappreciated component here and, and a catalyst for today's events really was uh, Egypt's integral role in bringing the rapid support forces and the Sudan armed forces back together okay. in early June. Forces were very close to to battle themselves inside Khartoum. Alex, this is exactly the dream that Al Burhan and the TMC was trying to sell to the people of Sudan. Under our control, if you go along with us for the transitional period, we will offer peace, stability, and we will be a much stronger nation for the near future. Those people who saw what happened with those announcements, do you think that they will feel that everything has been completely shattered, leaving the country in a total limbo? I think. Al-Burhan's credibility is at an all-time low. Um, it's, he, he really doesn't speak with the authority of a man who can be trusted or a man who commands the political landscape. And uh, one's hope in the coming weeks is that actually the military, having shown its hand, it will be unable to accomplish any of the tasks that it that it has promised for itself and the the revolutionary aspirations of those Sudanese Democrats of two years ago can at last be fulfilled that the revolution can be can be accomplished and the military can be reduced to its much smaller proper role in Sudanese society. And this is all happening when the African Union has been basically saying that it was hoping that to silence guns and to put an end to a long era of military coups and dictatorship in that continent. But it seems that we have to wait and perhaps it's going to be a long way to go before we see more peaceful civilian governments prevailing in the part of the world. Walid Madibo, Jonas Horner, Alex DeWolf, thank you very much for your insight and looking forward to talking to you in the near future. That's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Damien Lay, Mahabharada, Lauren Peter and Paul Taylor. Studio Sound was mixed by Aston Goodison. The program was edited by George Florocabris, Lynn Nguyen and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday.